audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I, I want to thank you. The way you lift your voices, uh, the way we've kind of become a singing church, it is wonderful to be able to preach after singing together. Um, and so I want to thank you for lifting your voice with us this morning, and, and I hope you're doing well. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to grab them and open with me, scroll with me to Second Peter. And um, I love it when we all get to follow along together through the preaching. I love it, and I think it is so healthy for so many reasons. Uh, I want to give you just a few while you're finding your place there. One, because it shows us that our true authority is this. Our true authority is this, not, not me, not any preacher. It's found in God's Word. And what a beautiful thing it is that we just get to come together and sit around this. It's wonderful. And, and the fact that our God has spoken the fact that our God is revealed and the fact that we get to come around this, not around any man, but around God's word. The second one that I wanted to give you, just a reason why I love it when we follow along together as a church, is because church is not a spectator sport. That everything we do together is something that we, we hope will that we can participate together. That's why we sing together. That's why we take communion together, read scripture together pray together. The same goes for preaching. And third, I just want you to think about this. We do this because the sheer joy of being able to do this. So many brothers and sisters have gone before us and given so much so that we can do what we are about to do. Uh, the fact that I would say in this room there are hundreds of Bibles. You are literally surrounded by hundreds of Bibles. That could not be said about very many congregations over the span of the church over the last thousands of years. We are a blessed people, and so we get the joy of doing this together. So in light of that, as we come to 2 Peter, uh, as we come back to 2 Peter, I want to just pause for a moment, and I'd love for us to just come to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him to bless our time together in his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word for this day that you have made. Thank you that we're able to come around your word, open it, and we just ask that you would speak to us. God, we ask, would you speak? Would you speak through your word, speak through me this morning? Would you give us all ears to hear, and would you stir our hearts this morning? Through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, over the last couple weeks, we have been walking through Second uh, Peter together, and we've seen a lot of warnings We've seen a lot of warnings from Peter to the church about false teachers, and what we've seen is he's described them, he's, he's set out for them what they are trying to do in the church, and uh, this morning we're going to finish out chapter 2, which chapter 2 is a bit of a warning chapter. Um, and I'm calling this time together this morning, The Temptation Toward Deception. And uh, here's the tendency that we can have. We can read texts like this, read about false teachers like this, read about what they're trying to do, read about attacks from within. We can read about it, and we can come together and say collectively, shame on them. Like, 
man, shame on them for doing that. Shame on those guys. We can talk about these dangers. And like last week, we talked a little bit about prosperity gospel and the threat that that poses to the church. And we can fall into the temptation of hearing this together and saying, shame on them. Like, shame on those guys. Shame on those people. But this morning, I want to encourage us to be careful. I want to encourage us to be careful because think about it like this. Not very many false teachers um, wake up one day, roll out of bed and say, you know what? I want to be a false teacher. You know what? I am going to attack the church from within. That's what I want to do. That's me. I mean, there have been those. Don't hear me wrong. There probably have been those in history who have woken up and said that. But by and large, that's not the way false teachers emerge from within the church. It's more subtle than that. It's more secret than that. Many times, it's not that the false teachers intentionally teach what is false, decide to teach what is false. It's often that the false teachers themselves have been deceived. In other words, they teach what is false because they themselves have begun to believe what is false. They deceive in the church because they themselves have been deceived. And there's a truth that that we all face and we all can face the temptation. The temptation um, to pull us toward this kind of deception if we are not careful. This is why I, I, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, while Jesus the disciples asked him, how, do we, how should we pray? And one of the lines of the Lord's prayer is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We must all be careful because our enemy is real and he's really good at deception. And, and the truth is that none of us are above this. We can all be deceived. And so this morning, I want to focus on this temptation that we feel, we face toward deception, and um, I hope that the time in our text is one of personal reflection, is one where we can stop and look at ourselves, guard ourselves from this kind of deception. So what I'd like to do is read our text in full, and then we'll walk kind of slowly through it. We're going to start in verse 17. These are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved." For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. And the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the, true, what the true proverb said has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. The sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Some vivid imagery there. Let's walk through it. Verse 17, just a, 
I'm going to kind of move quickly for the, through the first couple verses, and then we'll kind of camp more. So he starts in verse 17. He says, these, that is the false teachers, are like our waterless springs. So you get this imagery of just imagine going to a well, dropping that bucket down, lowering, 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 lowering as far as you can drop it till you can't lower it anymore, pulling it back only to find that your bucket's empty only to find that you're simply standing over an empty hole, a pit. A waterless spring is useless for thirst. It's nothing more than a deep hole. There's no substance, there's no water, and it can't do anything to quench your thirst. And and Peter says, church, these false teachers are a lot like that. They promise water, they promise substance, they look like a spring, They look like a well. It's empty. They're a hole. They're a dry pit. And they're a waterless spring. We read John 4 this morning that contrasts so beautifully what Jesus says about his well. Where Jesus talking to the woman at the well says, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to their well, uh, will be thirsty again. Meaning if you drink, you're going you're gonna to need water again. But in verse 14, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. It says it's a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is a beautiful contrast to what the false teachers are doing and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And these, these false teachers who have been around the true gospel are trading their, the true gospel. They have traded it, traded the endless water for a waterless spring. Counter gospel. Peter continues, and they, this is again the false teachers, and mist driven by a storm. So if you think of a mist, it's like a cloud, a puff right? Um, it, it, it appears like you can touch it, but you can't. It's just, it vanishes. It's nothing more than wind. And Peter says, this is like those false teachers. They appear to have substance. They appear, there appears to be something there. There is not. It is fleeting. He says it is driven away, blown away. It's unstable. It is fleeting. And because of this, Peter says, the gloom of outer darkness has been reserved. We've seen this all throughout 2 Peter of God takes it seriously when his church is attacked and there will be judgment. So here Peter is saying, Peter is referencing here eternal judgment, hell, eternal separation from God himself. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. This is the heaviest language he could use here. And Peter continues, verse 18, he says, for speaking loud boasts of folly. I love this because... It's often people who don't know what they're talking about that talk the loudest. Maybe you've done that to compensate for the fact you don't know what you're talking about. But, but often it is those who don't know what we're talking about that tend to talk the loudest about what we don't talk about to, a seem, to seem bold, to seem confident, to seem like we got this, when in reality we're just talking loudly about our foolishness. We're overcompensating. We're speaking in folly. Peter says that's what was going on here. And they were doing this, Peter says, enticing by sensual passions of the flesh, preying on the sinful desires of the people. They entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. In other words, they are preying on the vulnerable. 
These false teachers in this church are preying on those who are barely hanging on. They're preying on those who are vulnerable. They're taking advantage. They're attacking the weakest of the flock. That's what we have going on here, and that's heartbreaking. It's the vulnerable who are enticed, and it's the vulnerable who are exploited, and here's what they do. Verse 19. We're going to slow down here in a moment, so hang with me. Verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So if you get this imagery in your mind, it's like a man who is behind bars trying to tell everyone else how to be free. It's like a chain-smoking man with a cigarette in his hand telling you how you can be free from smoking. That trying to tell everyone, offering freedom when they themselves are in chains. These false teachers are teaching a better way quote unquote, teaching a better way, teaching um, how you can find happiness and freedom and fulfillment. But all these teachers have to show for their way, show for their teaching is bondage. That's what they have to show. They are empty wells of water, empty promises, unstable, mists in the air. And in contrast, we know, and we're going to get here later, but I'll just give you a glimpse. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And we know that he is the well that we can drink and never thirst again. We know our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, not like a mist vanishing. So these false teachers had taken the gospel of Christ. They had replaced it with a counterfeit that was completely unable to deliver on what it promised. Now, let's camp. Verse 20 through 22. We'll spend the rest of our time here this morning. Verse 24, if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's such a loaded statement that we're going to come back to, but after escaping the defilements, after having the knowledge of Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Now, have to ask, what on earth is Peter saying here? I mean, is Peter really saying it's better for those people to have never heard? It's better for them to have never heard the truth than to have heard the truth and then stray from it. Is Peter talking here about losing your salvation? Is Peter talking here about those who walk away getting more harsh of a judgment? What is going on? Listen, um, There's a truth that we must understand, and what I'm about to say is really difficult for me to say as a pastor. Scripture distinguishes clearly between those who are truly followers of Jesus, responded to the gospel, those who who are truly believers in Christ, from those who are simply moral people who go to church. Unfortunately, Scripture is clear that they are not always the same people. And this division, as we're going to see, is seen very clearly in these false teachers. Notice something with me. Notice the shift in pronouns. In chapter 1, if you were just read this thing through, you're going to notice in chapter 1, you're going to see a lot of you, you, you. Uh, more appropriately and more Texan, it would be y'all, 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 right? That's chapter 1. But notice in chapter 2, it's no longer y'all. It's they, them, 
those guys, right? There's a shift, and it's, and it's clear here that there's a shift about who is Peter talking to, that he's speaking to and about a different group of people. There are those who are the true church in the church gathering, and there are those in the church gathering who are not. And I want us to see what's going on here, because Peter is very clear that these false teachers had a knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this knowledge of Jesus Christ was a head knowledge. In other words, they knew about Jesus, they knew about what he had done, they knew about Christianity, and in fact, that's why they were so good and effective at twisting it, because they knew about it. And they started from there to build enough to form a counterfeit gospel. More than that, Peter says um, that these false teachers had escaped the defilements of the world, meaning they had been in the fold of the church. They had sat under the church's teaching. They had abstained from the defilements of the world. They were just like the church people around them. In other words, they were good old church people. They looked like, they acted like the church people that sat around them. So these false teachers had a knowledge of Jesus. They knew about him and about his teachings. And after being good old church goers, after hearing and knowing about the truth of Jesus, they then chose to go their own way, and they chose to counterfeit the gospel of Jesus Christ by and to bring down others in the process, by the way. That's what's happening here in our, ter- in, in our text. And that is why, church, this kind of attack is so dangerous. In other words, because they were good old churchgoers, their association with true believers made their words all the more deceptive. Because of their familiarity with the truth of the gospel, their teachings were that much more deceptive. Hear me, knowing about Jesus and having an association with the church does not make you a child of God, and it does not earn salvation for you. If it did, these false teachers would not have the gloom of outer darkness reserved for them. They knew about Jesus. They were associated with the people of God. But salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not just about knowing about him. It's about knowing him, trusting him for our salvation. And so Peter says, these guys are worse off. Why? Why are they worse off? Because they were close in proximity to the truth. They had access to the truth. They were around the people of God. They were in the church, yet after all that exposure, they were cold to the gospel of Christ. In church, we have to be careful. In the modern American church, we have to be careful because this could so easily be us. It's so easy for us to know about Jesus, to know all the stories, to know what happened on Christmas, to know what happened on Easter, I bet we can quote John 3.16. We know it. Most of us grew up with this. We know those Old Testament stories. Well, at least we know kind of the Old Testament stories. We grew up in this. As I said at the beginning, you're in a room surrounded by hundreds of Bibles right now. It is easy for us, literally surrounded by the truth, surrounded by the church, 
Never before has there been better access to the truth, but for all of that access, for all of that access, we could know about the answers, appear as Christian as you can possibly appear. And even though we know about Christ, we can fail to know Christ. We can fail to trust him as our only hope for our salvation. Even though we go to church, even though we are counted among the church people, we can fail to know him and trust Christ, and because of that, we can fail to be the true church. See, the false teachers were exposed to the truth and associated with the church, yet they did not know Jesus. And it's a reminder for us today that we are not saved by exposure to the truth. We are not saved by association to the church. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Verse 21 says, For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to have turned back from the holy commandment delivered to them. And then listen to this, what the true proverb says. By the way, this was referencing Proverbs uh, 26.11. It says, like a dog, this is a Proverbs, it says, it's like a dog returns to his vomit, a fool is a fool who repeats his folly. So Peter says here, this proverb is true because that has happened to these false teachers. Peter says, the, the dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I have a confession to make. I am such a city boy. I knew it was Sal. I did. I knew it. But I didn't know it confidently enough to just get up here and say it. I had to look up. Google, how do you say female pig? My confession. All right. The dog returns to its own vomit. That is super gross. But think about what it is saying. Think about what it's saying. The very thing that made the dog sick The very thing that made the dog throw up in the first place, the dog now returns to it to eat it again and again. You have dogs. You know this to be true. And again, not learning, not stopping to remember, wait a second, this didn't go well for me last time. Not stopping. It it just returns, and he just eats See, these false teachers have been a part of the church. Peter says they escaped the defilements of the word, world, having heard the truth of Christ. Now they are returning to the very thing that made them sick in the first place. Returning to the sin. I hate the word, but returning to the vomit. This is what was going on, as the proverb says. Just like a dog, never learning is a fool who repeats his folly. And then Peter expands, they are like a pig or a sow getting washed up. Don't judge me. Some of you didn't know that either. Um, The pig who gets washed up gets cleaned up only to return right back and wallow in the muck. Church, apart from Christ, is this not exactly what we do? Exactly. We know what made us sick. We know what caused our sickness. We know it didn't go well for us last time. We know it's been destroying us. 
We know the effects it's had on our life. We know it, we know it, and it is right back to that that we run again and again and again, and it's foolishness, and for most of us, we know that it is foolishness, but church, I want you to hear me. It's more than just foolishness. Understand what Peter said earlier, verse 19, it is bondage. It is bondage. Bondage. It's the same thing that entangled the false teachers in Peter's time. It's the same bondage that seeks to entangle us. The, the last thing, the last thing that the enemy wants is for us to realize that in Christ we are actually free from bondage. It's the last thing he would want. I think too many of us live like we are elephants. And I'll unpack that. Um, no offense. Um, You've probably heard this before, but there's something that you can do with, with uh, baby elephants. Uh, and I don't know the name for baby elephants, I'm, so I am, a, I am a city boy here, if there is a name. Um, but there's an old trick you can do, and it's if you put a rope on, on an elephant, a baby elephant, and stake it into the ground, um, that elephant is going to try to pull away at first. It's going to try to pull it's going to test its limits. But as soon as it fails, as soon as it realizes I can't go anywhere, that elephant will accept it and will stop pulling. It will accept the rope. So much so, once this happens, this elephant can grow huge. Huge, which being a large elephant could easily just go and pull that stake out of the ground. But it will not try. It will not do it. You could even yank the stake out of the ground and let it just be sitting there, and that elephant is not going to wander out of where it, the bondage where it thinks it should go. It won't go anywhere because the bondage is in the elephant's mind. The bondage is in the elephant's mind, and that elephant is not used to having freedom. And often, we are a lot like that elephant. We are accustomed to the bondage of our sin. We are used to it. We are used to the ropes. We are used to being slaves to certain things. And when we experience the freedom of Christ, we struggle to walk in it. We struggle to walk in it. It's like that stake is not even in the ground anymore. It's just dangling there. But that bondage is still so very real in our minds. And that is what Scripture says when it reminds us it's for freedom that he set us free. And it's madness for us who have been free, for us who have had the stake pulled out of the ground, for us to just live as though we are slaves Returning to our bondage, to use Peter's imagery, a dog returning to the vomit, a pig to the filth. Yet how many times do we do this? How many times is this, is this not exactly what we do? Just think about how important this text is for us this morning. Here's the, here's the first temptation that we need to see as we look at this. The first temptation is to think that, the, that knowledge about Christ is enough. The first temptation that we face is to think that knowledge about Christ is enough, that to know about Jesus and to know about Christianity is equal to salvation in Christ. 
let us learn from these false teachers. Let us learn from these false teachers that head knowledge about him is not knowing him, trusting him, walking in him, following him, being his child. In other words, Christianity is not a lifeless set of doctrines that we need to intellectually assent to. In contrast, Christianity centers itself on a living, risen, let me say it again, living Savior. Christianity is alive because our God is alive. Do you know him? Not just know about him, but do you know him? If the answer is no, or if you are hearing this and it sounds really foreign to you to talk about Christianity in this way, if that is you, if you are unsure, the invitation this morning is to come to Jesus, to know him, to know him who is alive. Please, church, do not leave here without responding to the gospel. If you're here and you think this is you, if you know about him but are unsure if you know him, we would love to pray with you. Here in a moment, um, we're going to have some of our pastors and uh, elders and leaders, some of our deacons that are going to be available for prayer. Don't leave without praying with us. Do you know him? Do you know him? So the first temptation is to think that knowledge about Christ is enough. The second temptation is to think that association with the church is enough. There have been so many people who have been deceived into thinking that their church attendance earns them something before Jesus. That their association with church makes them okay, or at least it makes them better than that other guy, those other people those heathens who don't come. Again, this is foolishness. We have to learn from these false teachers that, that church attendance, church involvement, giving to the church, serving the church, these things do not save you. These things do not earn for you any kind of special standing before the Lord. The only hope that we have in this life and for all eternity to come is Jesus Christ. And we don't come to church to become his people. We come to church because we are his people. We give to the church because we love the church. We want to see the church continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. We don't give to the church to earn anything from our God. That's not why we give. We serve the church because of love. Because what a joy it is to give ourselves in the same way that our Savior gave himself for us. That's why we serve the church. Not, not to stir up in, store up any kind of credit. It's madness. We stand before the Lord. As we stand before the Lord, the question is not going to be, what was your church attendance record? How often were you in your community group were you a member of your church? No, no. None of those things. It's going to be, are you in Christ? That's it. 
That's it. Now, are those things important to our lives as Christians? Absolutely. Absolutely. But church, let us learn from these false teachers. It's good to know about our God. It's good to be involved in your church, but our salvation does not rest in your head knowledge about Jesus. Your salvation does not rest in your church attendance or involvement. Your salvation rests in Jesus Christ by grace, by his grace, his mercy. That's it. Let us learn from these false teachers and not let any false counterfeit narrative get in the way of that. Listen, there's one more. So temptation to think that our knowledge about Jesus is enough. Second, the temptation to think that an association with the church is enough. Lastly, there is a temptation to return back to the bondage. To return right back to the, to the very same thing that Christ freed us from. Consider the way these false teachers were deceiving those in the church, enticing them to come back. To come back to those things that were killing them. Come back. There are so many times, church, that we forget who we are. There are so many times that we live our lives like an elephant with a chain around our neck with a stake that doesn't go anywhere. There are so many times, like a dog, like a pig, we return to the very same things that made us sick and filthy. This is the heart of Paul. We've quoted it two times already. I'm going to just read it for us. Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Church, if you're here and this is you, if you're here and you feel as though you are running back to the same old sin, the same old things, again and again and again, repent. Turn away because you and I both know it's madness. But here's the good news. When you do, you are not too far gone. I want you to hear me. There is forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ for you this morning. You are free in Christ this morning. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So Paul says, stand firm. And don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. You are no longer slaves to sin, no longer bound. No longer bound. You are free through and because of Jesus Christ. Let us learn from these texts because these false teachers were still in their bondage and yet they were seeking to entice the church to live like an elephant, a mental slave to what we have already been freed from and so walk in freedom. As I started um, we will have the temptation to hear all this and, and to say, you know, shame on you, false teachers. Shame on you. Um, and at the same time, fail to see the same temptations that we, will, that we face. And my hope is, is that this text has caused us to first examine ourselves. And I'd just like to end our time together this morning praying and asking God through his spirit that he would examine us and reveal to us how he wants us to grow, how he wants to grow us in Christ today. So would you 
join me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you search us. Would you search our hearts? Would you search our lives? Lord, you are so good. You are so gracious. We are so undeserving. And so, Lord, for for any of us in this room who you are convicting right now of, of sins that we keep coming back to and back to and back to in ways that we have been enticed to return back to the very things that make us sick. Lord, would you just begin to show us that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. And that our call is not to leave here and just try harder. No, our call is to leave here knowing who we are. And that is that we are free. That we have been made free through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So I pray for anyone here who is, who, who that is, that is us. I pray that for everyone here, that we realize who we are in Jesus Christ. That we realize that the stake is not even in the ground. And that we live like we are free because we are free through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I also pray for anyone here who does not yet know Jesus Christ. And we may know about him, we may come to church most of the time. But Lord, for anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ, who has never responded to the gospel that our Savior came and he died for our sins, that he was crucified, buried, and rose again. The fact that our Savior is not dead but alive and the fact that we don't need to know about him, but we, because he is living, know him. And for anyone here who does not yet know Lord, would you stir our hearts, open our ears and our eyes to your truth? Would you give us the faith? In Jesus' name.